Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to another episode of Jum'ah Nights As you all know we have just finished our series on Ghulu and we are moving on now to our series with regards to the maqamat of the Imam So today we're going to be discussing Ilmul Ghaib and we're going to be looking at it mostly from the Quran so that you can get a good idea with regards to the knowledge of the unseen So without further ado let's get straight into it So we want to discuss Ilmul Ghaib today in four steps. Number one, how do we define Ilmul Ghaib? Number two, does the Quran restrict this knowledge to Allah? Number three, where can we see that the Quran affirms this idea for Ahlul Bayt? And number four, where can we see the parallels for the Hadith and the Ziyarat with regards to this concept? So we want to start off with a definition of what is Ilmul Ghaib. Ilmul Ghaib is loosely translated as the knowledge of the unseen. As we see in the Quran, there are two realms that are spoken about, the realm of witnessing and the realm of the unseen. What we see is that the realm of the unseen interacts directly with the realm of the witnessing. However, we're not able to perceive this reality. The Quran really emphasizes on making sure that we believe in the unseen. We see this at the start of the Quran saying that it is a condition of our Islam and of our Iman. So we see that the Qur'an has a lot of emphasis on this topic. So as we're not able to perceive this reality, all of the knowledge pertaining to the realm of the unseen is that which is referred to as Ilmul Ghaib, the knowledge of the unseen. When we take a look at the Qur'an and how the Qur'an speaks about this knowledge, we see that there's a different sets of ayat and verses that explain it in different ways. So we see in Surah An-Naml, in verse number 65, Allah says after the basmala قُلْ لَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ فِي السَّمَوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ الْغَيْبَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَمَا يَشْعُرُونَ أَيَانَ يَبْعَثُونَ Allah says that say, he's saying to Prophet Muhammad to say that nobody knows the ghayb in the ard or the sama, in the earth or the heavens except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and nobody knows when they will be resurrected. So this is a clear verse in trying to convey the meaning that none know the ghayb, nobody knows the unseen except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we see in another ayah of the Quran, in Surah Al-Ahzab, ayah number 63, after the basmalah, Allah says, يَسْأَلُكَ النَّاسُ عَنِ السَّاءَةِ قُلْ إِنَّمَا إِلْمُهَا إِنْدَ اللَّهِ وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّ السَّاءَةَ تَكُونَ قَرِيبًا Allah says, the people ask you about the hour, right? And he says, say to them that its knowledge is only with Allah. And then Allah addresses the Prophet here. He says, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّ سَاءَةَ تَكُونُ قَرِيبًا And what do you know? It's possible that the hour may be near. So here, he is saying that only Allah knows the hour and he is conveying a message that the Prophet even would not know about when the hour would be. So we see another ayah of the Quran here where Allah is conveying the message that the ghayb is only with Allah. Then we see another verse of the Quran. Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al-A'raf verse number 188 after the basmalah he says قُلْ لَا أَمْلِكُ لِنَفْسِ نَفْعًا وَلَا ضَرًّا إِلَّا مَا شَاءَ اللَّهِ وَلَوْ كُنْتُ أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبَ لَسْتَكْثَرْتُ مِنَ الْخَيْرِ وَمَا مَسَّنِيَ السُّوءِ He says, say to the people, say to the Muslims at the time that I do not have in and of myself a way to benefit nor harm myself except for that which Allah wishes. And if I was to know the ghayb, Allah is ordering the Prophet to say, if I was to know the ghayb, then I would have done greater things. I would have done more good things and evil things would have not touched me. 
This is interesting because as Shia, we know that the Prophet is infallible, but not only is he infallible, but he's infallible to the greatest degree, such that he doesn't even do the lesser good. We know that the Prophet always does the best thing. So it's very interesting here that Allah is ordering the Prophet to say that I would increase in doing good, while we know that the Prophet could not increase in doing good. He could not do better than that. Which, which he was already doing because the Prophet was at the highest levels of infallibility. But anyways, moving on. Then we have another ayah of the Qur'an in Surah Al-An'am in verse number 59. Allah says, After the basmala وَإِنْدَهُ مَفَاتِهُ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَعْلَمُهَا إِلَّا هُو وَيَعْلَمُ مَا فِي الْبَرِّ وَالْبَحْرِ He says that Allah is the one with the keys to the unseen, that which he knows and nobody else knows. And he knows that which is in the earth and in the seas. So again here, we see an insinuation, a meaning conveyed that only Allah knows the ghayb. We see that again. We see this again and again. I'm, I'm sure you're starting to get the point now. But we're going to take a look at a few more ayats just to convey the meaning completely. Then we see another ayah of the Quran. And this is a very interesting one that I want to spend some time on. We see in verse number 101 of Surah Tawbah, Allah says, وَوِمَّنْ حَوْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْأَعْرَابِ مُنَافِقُونَ he says to the Prophet that around you, from the Bedouin Arabs, there are those who are hypocrites. He says that they have their hearts have become sick with hypocrisy. But you don't know who they are, but we know who they are. Allah is speaking to the Prophet. But when we take a look at a historical lens, and we look at the Prophet and we see, did he know who the hypocrites were? We see that he did know who they were. We see that he told Hudayfa ibn Yaman, the keeper of secrets of the Prophet. And Hudayfa was the one who knew who the companions that were hypocrites were, even after the Prophet's death. And people used to check to see which janazah Hudayfa ibn Yaman goes to and which he doesn't, to see who is the munafiqeen and who isn't. So we see that the Prophet did know. And we know here that he's saying here from the people of Medina. That's the city that Rasulullah lived in. Does Rasulullah not know the people that surround him? It's in the, in the narrations we see that one of the conditions of a mu'min is that he understands his surroundings. He knows the people that are around him. It is one of the conditions of a faqih, of a scholar. So how about Rasulullah? How can it be that Rasulullah doesn't know about his surroundings? Why is he being addressed like that in this ayah? So all of those sets of verses, what they explained or the meaning that they conveyed was that only Allah knows the ghayb. So that's one set of verses. Then we see another set of verses. What does Allah say in the Quran in Surah Al-Imran? In verse number 44, Allah says after the Basmalah, He says that is from the news of the unseen that we have revealed upon you. Now that's strange. You're saying, wait a minute. The Quran was saying that the ghayb was only with Allah. And then we see this in the Quran in multiple places that tilka min anba al ghayb that is from the news of the unseen that we have revealed to our prophets. We see this in the stories of Nuh, we see this in the stories of Yusuf, we see this in the stories of other prophets that Allah is giving them bits of knowledge from the ghayb. So that's another set of verses that we see that Allah is giving ilmul ghayb knowledge from the unseen to his prophets. We see that Allah gives this knowledge to those who are close from his servants. It isn't specifically and completely restricted to him as per these sets of verses. So we see here that there were prophets that were given from the ilm of ghayb. We see that Allah directly revealed, them, revealed that ghayb, that knowledge of the unseen upon them. And we can understand 
if we were to just take these two sets of verses, then we would say that Rasulullah probably would also fall into this category, whereby you can see that maybe Allah makes some of the ghayb available to him as he wishes. But the question remains here that we've got two narratives here. We've got one narrative saying that only Allah knows the ghayb. And then we've got another narrative so far where we are seeing that Allah gives some of the knowledge of, his, of the ghayb to his servants. So we can see here that there's two narratives. Why is there two narratives? And this is the crux of the discussion with regards to ilmul ghayb in the Quran. This is what will completely open up the answers to these questions once the principles of understanding the Quran are understood. The first principle that we want to understand is the principle of muhkam and mutashabih. So the principle of muhkam and mutashabih means that there are some verses in the Quran that are clear and there are other verses in the Quran that are ambiguous. And the principle is that the ambiguous verses need to be, need to be returned back to the clear verses. We see this ayah in Surah Al-Imran. Allah says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Imran, verse number 7. He says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, huwa alladhi anzala alayka al-kitaba, minhu ayatun muhkamat, hunna ummul kitab, wa akhuru mutashabihat. So he says that it is he who has sent down upon you the book. From it there are clear verses. Those are the foundation of the book. And others are ambiguous. So as for those who have disease in their hearts, then they follow that which is ambiguous from them, looking for discord among the people and looking for its true interpretation. Then it says that nobody knows its true interpretation except for Allah and those who has, he has bestowed with knowledge, the rasikhuna fil ilm, none other than the Ahl al-Bayt So we see in this ayah in the Quran, he says that there are clear verses and there are those which are unclear. So that's one principle. We have the principle of muhkam and mutashabih. We see that the hadith with regards to this explained. We have a hadith from Imam al-Ridha alayhi salam. And this narration is originally from Uyun Akbar Rida by Shaykh al-Saduq, but I'm reading for you from Bihar al-Anwar because I don't have Uyun Akbar Rida. Imam Rida alayhi salam says, whoever returns the mutashabih of the Qur'an, that which is ambiguous from the Qur'an, to the clear verses of the Qur'an, mustaqim. he finds the guidance to the straight path. And then he said, Inna fi akhbarana mutashabihan ka mutashabih al-Qur'an. He says that in our narrations, these are the narrations of the Imams, right? We see that the same principle applies, that there are mutashabih narrations, there are those narrations which are ambiguous from the Imams salam, the same way that the Qur'an has mutashabih ayat, and they have clear narrations, kamuhkam al-Qur'an. And then he says, return that which is mutashabih, to that which is muhkam. Return that which is ambiguous to that which is clear. And do not follow that which is ambiguous. So that you would become misguided if you were to do that. So the Imam, he's giving a principle here. He's saying that you need to return that which is ambiguous to that which is clear. That's one principle. The second principle that we see that is employed in the Ahadith of the Ahlul Bayts and also in the Quran is the idea of mudarat. And that's something that we've spoken about in our previous episodes with regards to the cursing and the bara'a episode. What does mudarat mean? Mudarat means easing people into the religion, right? When the religion came, it came in stages. 
it, it didn't tell people on the first day, stop drinking alcohol, stop eating pork, stop doing this, start praying five times a day, start fasting, inshallah, Ramadan. Everything came in stages to ease people into the religion. So the same way the Quran reflects that as well. The Quran reflects the idea that people were eased into the religion. And this is the idea of mudarat. Rasulullah says in a hadith, and it is narrated from Amr Sadiq in Al-Kafi, volume 1. He says, Amarani Rabbi nas kama amarani He says that my Lord ordered me with mudarat, easing people into the religion, the same way that he ordered me to complete my obligations, my salat, my, my uh, psalm, all of the things that are wajib for me to do, Allah made mudarat just as important as those things. And we see examples of mudarat also in the Quran. So we see mudarat in this ayah in the Quran. What does Allah say? It's with regards to Ibn al-Ghayb as well. He says to Rasulullah, قُلْ لَا أَقُولُ لَكُمْ إِنِّي خَزَائِنُ اللَّهِ وَلَا أَعْلَمُ الْغَيْبَ وَلَا أَقُولُ لَكُمْ إِنِّي مَلَكٌ This is very interesting. He says to Rasulullah, say, I do not have the treasures of Allah. I do not have the treasures of, of the knowledge of Allah. And I do not know the ghayb. This is Rasulullah speaking. I do not know the ghayb. And I do not say that I am an angel. This is really interesting. What does it mean for him to say, I am not an angel? You can see that that's clear mudarat because we know that the angels are not higher in status than Rasulullah. Rasulullah, he's saying this because he's easing people into this, his understanding of him being a human being, just like everybody else, being an example for them, being somebody that they can relate to. If Rasulullah was to come and he was to fly, or if he was to start doing things that normal people don't do, people would be like, to be honest, we can't follow this guy as an example. This guy can fly, this guy can do this and that. So Rasulullah had to have a part of him that was completely human and completely relatable. So Rasulullah would use language like this. This is Allah speaking to Rasul and telling him, tell them I'm not an angel. Even though angels are lesser in status than Rasulullah. But this is just to convince the people at that time because in their minds, they think, wow, an angel, right? So Rasulullah is speaking to them at their level and we can see that clearly in this ayah. So mudarat is the second principle that we see emphasized in the ayat of the Quran. So those are two principles now that we've mentioned. First of all, the muhkam al-mutashabih and the second was al-mudarat. The third that I want to speak about is al-jud bin nafs. Al-jud bin nafs is a selflessness that Allah shows. In some cases in the Quran, Allah will take away or show or appear as if he has lowered his status in order to make a point, right? We see Allah say in the Quran in Surah Al-Hadid, ayah number 11, after the Basmal, Allah says, مَن ذَا الَّذِي يُقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا فَيُضَائِفُهُ لَهُ وَلَهُ أَجْرٌ كَرِيمٌ Allah says, who is there out there that is willing to give a loan to Allah, a good loan so that Allah can multiply it for him and give him great reward Allah here, he's making it sound as if Allah is in need of your loan as if he's in need of your help Allah is not in need of your help but here, he's doing that to prove a point he's saying, look this is me speaking about myself as if you are able to help me as if you are able to have benefit for me so why wouldn't you do that? This is Allah making a point, it's selflessness. He's taken away from his, his grandeur in this linguistic point in order to make a point for a wisdom, in order to tell that person, look what a great thing you could do. 
by supporting this religion. It is as if you have given a loan to Allah that Allah can actually make it greater for you. You've given something as a benefit to Allah. You've helped Allah's cause. While Allah doesn't need the help of these people. But Allah uses this language out of his selflessness. And we see that in the ayat of the Quran, Allah does the same for the close servants of his as well. This is al-Judi bin Nafs. The idea that when he is able to lower in linguistically, to show and make it appear as if these close servants of his are relatable so that we can relate to them, so that we can feel like these people are close to us. That is the wisdom behind al-Judi bin Nafs, the selflessness that Allah shows in the Quran. And we see that in this ayah as well. So that's three principles now. We have al-Muhkam al-Mutashabih, we have al-Mudarat, and we have here al-Judi bin Nafs. We want to take a look at another principle now, which is the principle that says, That is to say that the person, the Mukhatab, the person that is being spoken to is Rasulullah in the Quran. However, the person who the message is actually intended for is the bystander, those who are listening, for me and for you. Sometimes Rasulullah is spoken to in the Quran and you'd be shocked at how he's speaking to Rasulullah in the Quran because we know of a Rasulullah status. But what we see is that the mukhatab, the person who's being addressed is the Prophet, but the message is actually for us. We see this in the Quran, for example, in Surah Al-Zuha. Allah says, fahada." He says, then he found you misguided and he guided you. Was Rasulullah ever misguided? Was he ever dal? Can you use that word for Rasulullah? No. But even though he is addressed in this ayah, the message is not for him. It's for everybody else. It's for the people of the ummah. And we see this in the hadith as well. We have a hadith from Imam Sadiq also in the second volume of Al-Kafi. He says, The Quran was revealed upon this very principle that the mukhatab, the addressed is Rasulullah, but the message is for the ummah. So this principle is also another principle that you need to add on to those three principles that we have spoken about. And those principles, if we are to understand these four principles and the last one that I'm going to just now speak about, we'll be able to understand the gradients of the ayat of the Quran when they're speaking about things like ilmul ghayb. Why does Allah restrict the knowledge to itself, to himself in some cases? Is it out of mudarat? Is it out of iyaki a'ni wasma'i ajara? That's what we find. In the narrations, when Allah is restricting that knowledge to Himself, or He is saying to Rasulullah to say that if I was to know the ghayb, then I would have done greater. This is a message for us. We know that Rasulullah can't do greater. We know that He is at the highest level of infallibility. So this message is clearly for us. So these principles they allow you to understand these ayat in the actual context that they are actually in. If you were to take a surface level, a vahir understanding of the ayat of the Quran, then maybe you might feel like nobody else knows the ghayb. But then how do you explain those ayat where Allah makes the ghayb available to some of his servants like Maryam, like Nuh, like Yusuf? How would you explain those if Allah was to restrict his ghayb to himself? Then we take a look at the last principle that we want to speak about, which is called Qaidatul Mata'li wal Majari, the principle of the phases of the sun and the moon. That sounds a little bit strange, but if we look at the hadith in Tafsir al-Safi on page 25, we see a narration from Imam al-Bakhir He says that there is not an ayah in the Quran except that it has an apparent meaning and a hidden meaning. And there is no letter from it 
except that it has a boundary and every boundary has a phase and then someone asked him the companion asked him what does it mean to say that it has a apparent meaning and a hidden meaning and then the imam says that its apparent meaning is its tanzil and its hidden meaning is its ta'wil in it is from that which has passed and that which is to come and then he says yajri kama yajri shamsa wal qamar he says that they have phases these uh, apparent meanings and hidden meanings have phases like the phases of the sun and the moon what does that mean the phases of the moon how do we see it come in the month some in on the first day on the new moon the moon is so skinny is so thin that you're unable to see it even right then you see that the moon starts to get bigger as the month goes on until you get to the 15th night of the month and it's a full moon so what this is trying to say is that some of the ayat of the Qur'an and this also applies to the ahadith of Ahl Bayt Some of the ayat and some of the ahadith will give you 5% of the reality Some of them will give you 10% of the reality Some of them will give you 30% of the reality Some of them will give you the full reality Right? So we see here that there are phases in the Qur'an and the ahadith These are the principles of the Qur'an and the hadith So we see that some of the ayat of the Qur'an may be giving you an angle of the complete reality others may be giving you more clarity it's the same kind of understanding as muhkam and mutashabih but to a greater extent a bit more complex in understanding that there are levels and gradients to the amount of reality that is being made available so we see that in the hadith of the imams if the companion comes to him and it's a companion that is of a low level the imam will answer him differently to if a big companion a very knowledgeable companion someone who understands the ulum of al-muhammad comes to him the answer that he's going to give to him is very different and we see that in the hadith very very clearly and that's why it's really good to actually look at the du'as and the ziyarat and to try and understand the beliefs from there because that is where the imams are speaking to allah so you can see there the highest level of eloquence, the highest level of teachings in these du'as and these ziyarat. Anyways, we digress. So we see here that when we look at these ayat of the Qur'an of Ilmul Ghayb, where Allah is restricting the knowledge to himself, it is one of these principles in all cases that will be applied. In some cases it will be mudarat, where the, the Prophet, he is trying to make himself, uh, make the deen easier for the people to digest if Rasulullah says to them, I know the ghayb, I know this, I know that, then people are not going to be able to relate to him. That's one reason. Number two, you have Al-Jud ibn Nafs. We spoke about how Allah makes it appear in some cases that he is less in his grandeur and his stature than he actually is. And we see that in the ayah of the Quran where Allah says, who is there to give a loan to Allah as if Allah is in need of your loan. Then you have the principle of muhkam and mutashabih. Those which are clear and those which are ambiguous. So we have ambiguous ayats where we are seeing here these principles of mudarat something is not quite clear we have to return it back to the muhkam understanding which is what we're going to get into now where we are going to speak about the muhkam understanding with regards to ilmul ghayb in the quran and in the ahadith and the ziyarat of the ahl bayt so now we've spoken about two sets of narratives in the Qur'an. The first, trying to convey a meaning that only Allah knows the ghayb. Then we have uh, the narrative that Allah, He gives that a little bit from His ghayb to His close servants. Then we see in Surah Al-Jinn, in ayah number 25 and 26 after the Basmala, Allah says in the Qur'an, Alimul ghaybi fala ala ghaybihi ahada. 
He says Allah is the one who knows the unseen So he does not reveal his unseen to anybody لا يثر على غيبه أحدا إلا من ارتضى من رسول Except that person who is approved from the messenger That's the correct translation of the ayah Allah says here إلا من ارتضى من رسول Except that one who has been approved by the messenger And you can see here that the word used is very interesting ارتضى The one who is المرتضى من الرسول The one who is approved by the Rasul. So Allah is saying here, he does not disclose his unseen except to the one who his messenger has approved. What's very interesting is this is the only ayah in the Quran, the only ayah in the whole of the Quran where Allah is speaking about the ghayb and he specifies it as his own ghayb. He says ghaybihi, his ghayb, Allah's ghayb, his special ghayb, his ghayb that he keeps for himself, that is for nobody else. Allah shares that with who? إِلَّا مَنْ ارْتَضَى مِنْ رَسُولٍ And Rasulin here, in the Arabic language, it's a nominative noun. نَكِرَةٌ مُنَوَّنَ This means that this is just one individual, this is one Rasul. There's one Rasul whose approval you need to get in order for Allah to give you access to his special ghayb. So who is Allah speaking about here? Who is it that is approved from the messenger? Who is Al-Murtada? Who is the one that Allah grants his ghayb from himself? We're not speaking about ghayb in general here. We're not speaking about the ghayb that is given, some of it is given to the angels, some of it is given to the close servants from the prophets. We're not speaking about that. We're speaking about the ghayb that is specific to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is the only place in the Quran that mentions this ghayb. And Allah says that this is the ghayb that I have made it specific Except for the one who has been approved by the messenger As Shia, we don't need a hadith for this ayah We don't need a hadith to tell us who this ayah is speaking about We don't need to know a hadith to know which Rasul this is speaking about For at the end of the day, there's only one Rasul There's only one true Rasul of this religion And it is none other than Muhammad wasallam. And there's only one Murtada. There's only one person who is approved in entirety by that messenger. And that is none other than Ali ibn Abi Talib. So we see this very clearly in the Quran. That Allah has chosen these two individuals to give his ghayb to. Of course, if the Rasul is the one doing the approving for the ghayb to be given to that individual. Then the Rasul has access to it. He is the one who approves the person who is going to be given access to it. And we see this in the hadith as well. We see this in Bihar al-Anwar, which is what I'm going to read from. We have a hadith from Imam Ali He's speaking to Salman al-Farisi. He says, Ya Salman, ama yaqul? He says, have you not read the statement of Allah in the Quran where he says, Alimul fala ala ahada illa man min rasulin. فَقُلْتُ بَلَا يَا أَمِيرُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Salman says, yes, I've read this in the Qur'an, O oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen. Amir al-Mu'mineen says, أَنَا ذَلِكَ الْمُرْتَضَى مِنَ الرَّسُولَ الَّذِي أَظْهَرَهُ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلَّ عَلَى غَيْبِهِ Imam Ali alayhi salam says that I am that murtada, I am the one who is approved by the Rasul, the same one who Allah gave access to his specific ghayb. 
even without a hadith, we could have understood this. But we have a hadith as well, just for those of you who might be a little bit skeptical. So we have the ayah there that makes it clear that Rasulullah and Amir al-Mu'mineen are given the specific knowledge of the unseen that belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we see in another ayah of the Quran, in Surah Tawbah, verse number 105, Allah says, Allah says, so do that which you will, for Allah will see your deeds, and the messenger will see your deeds, and al-mu'minun. Who are the mu'minun here? Who are the ones? Because Allah here, he has made this witnessing. Sayyarallahu amalakum. Allah will see your deeds. And the Rasul and the mu'minun. He's made the witnessing upon one level. The witnessing that is happening here is on the same level between Allah, between the Rasul and these mu'minun that are mentioned here. Then he says, وَسَتَرَدُّونَ إِلَىٰ عَالِمِ الْغَيْبِ وَالشَّهَادَةِ فَيُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَعْمَلُونَ he says, then you will be returned to the realm of the unseen and the witnessing such that you can be informed about that which you used to do. So we see here that the Alim al-Ghayb al-Shahada is a realm that all three of these witnesses, Allah, the Rasul and the Mu'minun have access to. Because otherwise then, the eye would have no meaning. It has to be that the witnessing, if it's at one level, then the alim al-ghaybi wa-shahada is also available to those three witnesses. The same way that is available to Allah, of course, is also available to the Rasul, and it's also, it's also accessible to the mu'mineen that are mentioned in this ayah. Who are the mu'mineen that are mentioned in this ayah? We see this in the ahadith explained as well. So we saw the mu'minun in those ayah who are also witnessing all the deeds. They also have access to the realm of witnessing and of ghayb. So who are the Mu'minun? We have a narration here in Basar al-Darajat on page 473. It is from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam with regards to the ayah of the Qur'an where Allah says The Imam says He says they are the A'imma. The Mu'minun are the A'imma in this verse. So they are also those who see your deeds. And we see this in other narrations as well that the deeds of the Shia are presented to the Imam of their time and to Rasulullah. And on every morning, that's what the Imams say. That every morning, the deeds of the Shia are presented to the Imams and to Rasulullah But this is even just a concept just to bring it closer to our minds. Of course, Rasulullah and the Imams do not need to be presented our deeds. They are well aware of them as they happen because they have witness. They have access to the realm of witnessing and the realm of Ghayb of unseen, the same way that the Quran affirms. And then we see a whole chapter in Al Kafi that is titled by Sheikh Al Kulaini himself, saying that if the Imam wishes to know something, then he will know it. So we see a lot of narrations, it's a whole chapter of hadith just saying that, saying that if the Imam wishes to know something, then he will know it. So Allah has made all of this knowledge accessible to the Imams. It is not that Allah has restricted his knowledge from his close servants, from the Imams of Ahl Bayt We see here in the narration from Imam Sadiq he says, if the Imam wants to know something, then he will know it. He will know that thing. Once he wants to know that thing, he will know it. So we see these narrations very clearly, and these are the muhkam narrations. These are the muhkam ayat of the Qur'an that are very clear in showing that Rasulullah and the Imams of Ahl Bayt 
have been given access to this knowledge of the unseen and Allah is the one who has made it available and accessible to them as they are the closest to him. They are the ones who are in his shadow. They are the ones who he has created with all of his love and the first of the creations of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's why we read in Ziyat Jami'at al-Kabira, which is narrated to us by Imam Ali al-Hadi, whose shahada was very recently as well. The Imam, he teaches us to say, Istafakum bi'ilmihi, we're speaking about the Ahl-Bayt You have been chosen with the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wartadakum li and he has approved for you his ghayb, his specific knowledge of the unseen. Do you see the parallels between this wording and the wording of the Quran? Yeah, the same idea that was mentioned there, those who are approved by the messenger, here it says Allah approved them for his ghayb. And Allah chose you for his secrets. You are the ones that Allah bestows his secrets upon. And then we see in a line that encompasses everything that we have just spoken about from the maqamat of the Ahlul Bayt al-Kabira. In these few words it is completely encompassed where we say Every single thing, every single thing is humiliated before you. It is under your control. This is what Ziyat al-Jami'ah it makes it very clear from that is from the alim al-ghaybi wa shahada knowledge of the unseen knowledge of the unseen is a very small thing when we say wa kullu shay'in lakum when we read dua kumail and we say wa kullu shay' speaking about the asma of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is what explains to you here who we are speaking about and the level at which we are speaking about when we say all things are humiliated before you this is the Ahlul Bayt Ilmul Ghayb is a very small thing for them. It is not through a misunderstanding of these ayats of the Quran and a misuse of them without using the principles that we discussed today. The principles of Mudarat, Al-Judi bin Nafs, the understanding of Muhkam and Mutashabih, the understanding of Mutali and Majari. You cannot understand these ayats of the Quran except by understanding these principles. Otherwise, the Quran looks like it contradicts itself. It looks like it's saying only Allah knows the ghayb. Then Allah is saying, I give a bit of the ghayb to my close servants. Then he's saying, my special ghayb that is specific to me, I'm giving it to that which is those people who are closest to me. So is Allah contradicting himself in those ayats? No, it can't be the case. It means that if you are, to able, if you are not able to understand here that the, this... A concept is layered and is principled then that is your misunderstanding of the Quran and that is what leads you to these incorrect conclusions unfortunately we see a lot of people that take a lot of these ayats out of context and they say crazy things about Rasulullah they take these things literally they take away from the status of Rasulullah they understand the Quran without using the principles that the Ahlul Bayt gave us to understand their Quran and this is why I keep on stressing that the Quran and the Ahlul Bayt being together is where we are able to find guidance. That is why I keep stressing that the principles taught by the Ahlul Bayt are that which we need to use to understand the Quran. And without it, we can't understand the Quran. How are you going to understand these ayat contradicting each other without the principles taught with, to you by the Ahlul Bayt? 
Those people who try to tell you that the Quran in its zahir, in its apparent meaning, is enough for you to understand everything, those people have not tasted the sweetness of the narrations of Ahl bayt They have not tasted the sweetness of the knowledge of Ahl bayt That is what leads them to these incorrect conclusions. I hope that's been a great episode for you. I hope it's been interesting. Uh, we're obviously going to be moving on next week where we're going to be speaking with regards to Wilaya Taqwiniya, which is also another technical topic. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope it wasn't too technical, but it was needed. So I'll see you again next week, inshallah, where we'll be speaking about Wilaya Taqwiniya. See you again next week. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.